I'm going to be alone forever. Is that the thought circling in your mind right now? Are you feeling like every moment of every day is gray? Maybe you can't stop crying. If this is what you're going through, you're likely in the third stage of the breakup process, depression. Welcome back to the Breakup Bootcamp Podcast, a Cake Media original production. I'm your host, Amy Chan, breakup expert and founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp. I'm going to guide you every step of the way through the breakup process. In our first two episodes, we talked about the initial shock stage and the denial stage. And today, we're going to talk about the depression stage. Depression after a breakup isn't just about feeling sad. It's a profound sense of loss. You might feel lethargic, uninterested in things you once enjoyed. You might even struggle with feelings of worthlessness. Research has shown that the end of a relationship can trigger symptoms similar to clinical depression. A study published in the Journal of Health and Social Behavior found that people often experience significant depressive symptoms after a breakup. Some of the symptoms might look like sadness, crying, lots of it, not feeling motivated to do anything, even getting out of bed, feelings of emptiness or despair. You might want to isolate yourself and not be around anyone. Neurochemically, breakups can resemble withdrawal symptoms. When you're in love, your brain produces hormones like dopamine, oxytocin, and vasopressin. These make you feel happy and attached to your partner. When the relationship ends, the sudden decrease in these hormones can lead to feelings akin to withdrawal, contributing to these depressive symptoms. But there is good news, and that is that this chemical imbalance, it doesn't last forever. According to research in the Journal of Positive Psychology, many people can recover from these intense heartbreak symptoms in about three months. The study found that 71% of participants were able to see their failed relationship in a positive light after about 11 to 12 weeks. Now, if the breakup wasn't mutual and you were the one who was broken up with, you'll likely feel more of these depressive symptoms than the one who did the breaking up. You've got to remember that they had a head start in the processing. People don't typically break up with you without thinking about it first. They might have had weeks, months, or maybe even longer of a head start. And when they had that breakup talk with you, you probably felt blindsided. There's more good news. One study found that people who are broken up with actually developed more resilience and mental toughness than the person who did the breaking up. 
This demonstrates that challenging experiences such as breakups can actually lead to personal growth. Support for today's episode comes from Sakara. I know when I went through my heartbreak, my appetite seemed to vanish. It's surprising how grief and emotional pain can send our body into a mode where eating becomes such a challenge. Enter Sakara. Their scientifically supported plant-centric nutrition programs became my lifeline. With stress clouding my ability to even consider meal planning, Sakara ensured organic meals reached my doorstep. By embracing Sakara, I wasn't just feeding myself, I was prioritizing my well-being and self-care journey. Sakara doesn't just deliver meals, they bring to your doorstep a commitment to your health, fortified by science and rooted in plant-rich nutrition. Each organic meal they offer is meticulously crafted to boost your well-being. The outcomes? Enhanced digestive health, eased bloating, and even increased energy. Experience a difference both inside and out. And right now, our listeners get 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash breakup or enter code breakup at checkout. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash breakup for 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash breakup. Take the first step of investing in your health today. And now back to the show. Despite all this good news that yes, it will get better, and yes, you will become more resilient than ever, I'm sure you're still thinking, well, it hurts like hell right now. How do I survive? So let's dive into some tools that can help you move through this depression stage for hours. I want to note that it's completely normal to feel sadness after a breakup. I mean, if you didn't, you'd be a psychopath, completely devoid of feelings. And while you can't erase pain, there are things that you might be doing right now that's actually making it worse. One of these things is what I call feeding your emotional monster. You have an emotional monster and I want you to visualize a big Pac-Man. And this emotional monster wants to get as big as it can get and stick around for as long as it possibly can. And it's food of choice, your thoughts, your body language, and sabotaging actions. The lifespan of an emotion. Can you guess what it is? It's actually 90 seconds. This is how long it takes for you to feel the emotion and for it to reach its chemical peak and move through. But what causes these emotions to last for hours, days, maybe even years? It's feeding the emotional monster. It's using thoughts, creating stories, making assumptions that make it worse. I remember when I was in the depression stage of my breakup, I played Coldplay's Fix You on repeat. My body would be hunched over, I would be sobbing and sobbing, and I knew the sad song was making it worse. But it hurt so good. 
and this was me feeding my emotional monster. Right now, in the depression stage, you cannot listen to these false messages firing in your mind and body. In fact, you need to fight the emotional monster, and you do this by doing something used in cognitive behavioral therapy called opposite action. So if you're hunched over, you want to change your body posture and stand up tall. If you're wanting to listen to sad songs, you change the music and put on Beyonce if you need to. In the depression stage, what you think your gut is telling you, messages to isolate yourself, to not get out of bed, eat ice cream, or don't eat at all, you need to override these messages. You need to override this natural reaction and do the complete opposite. Another thing you might be doing that's amplifying your depression is by thinking in cognitive distortions. These are irrational ways of thinking that reinforce negativity and perpetuate anxiety. Some common cognitive distortions that occur after a breakup include catastrophizing. This is when you think in extremes and imagine the worst case scenario. You might make statements like, I'll never find love again. I'm going to be alone forever. Another one is all or nothing thinking. This is when you see things as either all good or all bad. It's all black or white. There is no nuance. There is no gray area. And you know you're doing this when you're using words like always. This always happens to me. Or never. It never works out for me. And then there's mind reading. This is when you distort facts and you make assumptions that you know what your ex is thinking. And then there's blaming. This is when you refuse to take accountability for yourself, your actions or emotions, and you make everything someone else's fault. Do any of these sound familiar to you? Often, we have a go-to cognitive distortion. I know personally, my go-to cognitive distortion is all or nothing thinking. I have a tendency to say, this always happens to me. Or blame someone and say, you never consider my feelings. But now that I'm aware of it, when I do catch myself using all or nothing thinking, I remind myself that my mind is playing a trick on me. And that's when I reframe and I look at the facts of the situation. I look at the reality versus coming up with these assumptions and labels in my head that only add to my anxiety and stress. Now a message from our partner. I don't want to scare you, but you need to know that most bedding is made with harsh chemicals like formaldehyde and toxic dyes. You spend eight hours a day in your bed and you want to make sure you use high quality bed sheets like the ones from Bowl and Branch. They use 100% organic cotton and their sheets do not have any toxins or harsh chemicals. I switch to Bowl and Branch and feel at ease that they're organic and they get softer and softer with each wash. So they actually get more cozy and feel more buttery the longer you use them. 
The signature hem sheets are their top seller, and that's what I got. I now know why millions of people use them, including, fun fact, four U.S. presidents. Bowl & Branch offers a 30-night worry-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. Get 15% off your first order when you use promo code BREAKUP at bowlandbranch.com. That's Bowl & Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code BREAKUP. Some exclusions apply. See site for details. Now, back to our show. It's important that you're aware of cognitive distortions, especially when you're telling people about your breakup story, because you don't want to re-traumatize yourself. This can happen when you retell the story in a highly detailed way, reliving the emotions, sensations of a traumatic event, such as the breakup or catching your partner cheating. And this can cause distress similar to the original trauma. What's going to happen in your body is it will create those same chemicals like cortisol, as if you are experiencing that old trauma right now in the present. And as you tell the story and add these cognitive distortions and false assumptions, and you keep repeating that story over and over again, you ingrain this false, unhelpful narrative into your brain, and your brain accepts it like it's fact. Your memory is not reliable. And in fact, every time you recall a memory to your conscious mind, you disrupt it. And by doing so, you alter it forever. It's like a game of telephone, but actually a game of broken telephone. Every single time you tell the story and it's repeated, it changes ever so slightly. So you can choose the direction in which the story changes. A story that's going to serve you and empower you, or a story where you are the victim and you're completely disempowered. I remember when I was in the depression stage of my breakup and grieving the infidelity, one of my friends said to me, well, Amy, he cheated on you. He must not have ever loved you. And I recall pondering that thought for a moment and thinking, oh, maybe he didn't love me this whole time. Maybe our entire relationship was just a complete lie. And I noticed that the emotional charge became more and more intense. And then I just stopped myself and I thought, wait, I can't read his mind. I have no idea if that's true. I can't prove it. I can't disprove it. And for me to take this hypothetical belief right now that he didn't love me the entire relationship, how is that going to serve my story and how is that going to serve my present and my future? So I chose to reject the idea and to focus on the facts of my story and my situation. But look, it was still really hard and I was still extremely sad. But there were some things that I did that helped me feel a little bit better. And I want to share with you one of the tools that I used that was a lifesaver. So to counter all of this negative thinking, there is something you can do to make your brain 
more happy. And that's gratitude journaling. Research shows that gratitude can upregulate the production of dopamine, the neurotransmitter associated with feelings of reward and pleasure. So when you express gratitude, your brain releases dopamine, making you feel good. And this encourages you to repeat the action. A 2019 study published in the Journal of Happiness further supports this. Those who wrote gratitude letters showed a significant increase in brain activity in the medial prefrontal cortex, an area that's associated with learning, decision-making, and perspective-taking even months after the intervention. All of this suggests that gratitude journaling could have long-lasting effects on the brain. And this is how you're going to do it. All you need to do is carve out a few minutes out of your day. You might want to make this your evening ritual. You write down three things you're grateful for and why. As you write them, try to feel the feelings of gratitude. Try to visualize it. Try to feel the sensations of warmth as you recall these memories. Now you might be wondering, how long do I need to practice this? Well, according to science, it's recommended to maintain this gratitude journal for at least two months. And that's when you'll start noticing some big changes. This time frame aligns with research indicating that it typically takes about 66 days for a new behavior to become automatic. And after that, your brain starts to change and you automatically start seeing the world in a more positive light. Now, you might be trying all of these things, gratitude journaling, exercising, dancing to Beyonce, and you might still find yourself feeling really sad. Look, you're not going to feel a dramatic shift all at once, but instead you might notice that instead of it being 100% dark and gloomy, the next day is 1% better. Maybe you find a moment where you find yourself laughing or you're touched by a friend doing something nice for you. I'll never forget in my darkest depression, I was crying and crying and I went out to buy a coffee and the person who took my order looked at me and then took a double take and really looked at me. And he just looks straight into my eyes and said, Hey, are you doing okay? There was such kindness and compassion in his eyes. He didn't have to say a lot. I just felt his presence and his care. Maybe he had gone through a heartbreak too, and he could see it in me. I'll never know his story, but I'm still touched to this day, a stranger taking a moment to be kind. The point I'm making is that there's beauty all around you, even when everything seems dark. And right now, and right now, you might just have to search a little harder for it. You see, something happens when you're feeling depressed. There's a deficit in positive emotions. So you might have difficulty recalling that anything pleasant or positive 
has ever happened to you. And that's why you actually need to create practices to look for the beauty, to look for the positive. Because when you're in this depressed state, it's a lot harder for these things to just hit you like a lightning bolt and for you to notice them. You need to consciously and proactively search, even hunt for the good. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I remember right after my breakup, I was lying in bed and my mind was racing. I kept thinking about my ex, ruminating about what he did, what he didn't do, and if I could have changed the ending. I had this urge to email him these negative thoughts, and I knew deep down this was a bad idea, but I went ahead and I wrote him that very, very terrible email anyway, and ultimately just felt worse after. I wish I would have chosen a more healthy path like therapy during that time. Therapy could have helped me process and understand this rumination so I could help myself versus work against myself. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and understanding your patterns. Going to therapy after breakup can help you take the steps to move forward, especially when you feel stuck. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and flexible, and you can book a session that's convenient for your schedule. You can also communicate the way you want, whether that's by text, chat, video, or phone. Make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com breakup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash breakup. And now back to the show. Now there's another tool that will help you have a more optimistic view on life. And it's a practice that goes back 2,500 years. And that's mindfulness meditation. In mindfulness meditation, you focus your attention on your breath sensations, thoughts, and emotions. You observe them without trying to change them or judge them. And this practice actually changes your brain. It increases the thickness of the hippocampus, which is the part of your brain responsible for learning and memory. It also decreases the size of the amygdala, the center for fear and anxiety. Mindfulness meditation does not eliminate your pain or negative feelings, but instead, it changes your relationship with those feelings. A study published in the Journal of Cognitive Psychotherapy found that mindfulness can decrease rumination and reduce the symptoms of depression. Studies have found that even just eight minutes of mindfulness meditation a day can result in your brain changing and this helps you become less reactive. So here is your action item. Every day, set a timer for eight minutes. Sit down in a comfortable position and just focus on your breath, your thoughts, your feelings. Just notice them as they pop up. If a thought pops up, it's okay. Just notice it like a thought cloud floating by and bring your focus back to the breath. These practices take time. It's like strength training for your brain. 
You wouldn't expect to go to the gym once and then be able to deadlift double your body weight. We train daily. So with meditation, with all these self-care tools, every day you practice and eventually the steps add up. And you'll notice your days have a little more light in them. The thoughts of your ex aren't taking up every moment of your headspace. The fog begins to lift. And remember, there is no one right timeline for grief. This is really hard. You've just experienced a significant loss. And I know this is especially frustrating for my overachievers out there who just want it to end right now, to get rid of the feelings and move on. And I get that. I know you might feel impatient, but if you rush yourself out of the process or try to think yourself out of the pain versus feel your way through it, then the pain is going to catch up to you sooner or later. And this is where there appears to be a general difference between how men and women experience a breakup. Researchers from Birmingham University found that women tend to feel more emotional pain immediately after the breakup compared to men. The women felt higher levels of sadness, fear, and anxiety. But while the men reported feeling less emotional pain right after, they did tend to move on less completely over time. The men were more likely to hold on to feelings of regret and continue to feel the loss of their ex sometimes even years after the relationship ended. Now, it's argued that men's recovery can be slower because of how they were socialized. A lot of the times, men were socialized when they were kids to not express their emotions, to not seek emotional support from others, and all of this caused them to opt for short-term coping mechanisms, defense strategies such as distraction or denial or avoiding the emotions altogether all of which delay the healing process. Men were also more likely to use external coping mechanisms, such as throwing themselves into work, engaging in risky behavior, and using substances to deal with their emotions. And again, these are just general trends. You may exhibit some of these behaviors, or you may not, and that is okay. Regardless of where you're at, it's possible that you're fixated on one thing to help you feel better, and that is closure. I hear this a lot from my clients who are in the depression stage, and they are focused and even obsessed with their ex, giving them a sense of closure. They, they want an explanation. They want an apology, thinking that will finally give them closure. And only then will they finally be able to move on. But here's the thing. It's not closure you're looking for. What you're looking for is relief from the pain of separation. And even if your ex explained to you all of the reasons why they wanted to break up, or if they gave you a sincere apology, it's not going to take away the fact 
that you are hurting because the relationship is over, that the attachment bond and closeness that you once had is now gone. And there's nothing they can say to make that pain go away. So the more time you spend focused on getting closure from an external source, the more you suffer. And if you try to reach out to your ex to get this closure from them, this might even cause more damage. One of my clients who had been broken up with was grieving. And weeks later, she was obsessed with wanting to meet up with her ex. She wanted to understand why the breakup happened, why he didn't want to work on things. And she spent hours painfully crafting the perfect message. He replied two days later with six words. I have nothing to talk about. No punctuation, no emoji, nothing. This caused her to completely derail. And now, on top of feeling the depression and the anxiety, she was also feeling stupid. And she was feeling shame because she sent that message. And look, not every story is going to end this way. You might reach out and they reply with something kind and loving. And you might get this pang of excitement or a lift in your mood. But then you're just going to drop right back down. And often what happens is they don't say the right thing. They don't react in the right amount of time or they don't respond at all. And that is just adding more salt to the wound. If you're experiencing this, if your ex or the person you're dating ghosted or is doing this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing, keep in mind that this is about them and how they handle conflict and uncomfortable emotions. It's likely not about you. It's not personal. It's not an indication of how much or how little they loved you while they were in the relationship, but it's much more of an indication of their capacity or lack of capacity to deal with their own activated nervous system. Ghosting or stonewalling is a form of disassociation, and it's generally a sign of their nervous system being overwhelmed. And so they go into what's called hypoarousal, which is known as the freeze response. And it's not a logical thing. It's not like they're choosing to go into a freeze response. And they're likely subconsciously reacting the same way they did when they were a child and confronted with uncomfortable emotions or a threat or not feeling safe. Again, we're not here to mind read or make assumptions. But I know how hard it is to have the person you love suddenly treat you like a stranger. And I hope my explanation reminds you to not take it personally and to stop trying to expect your ex to be the one that gives you closure. You see, the person who caused you this pain is not going to be your medicine. Your ex is not going to heal the pain you feel from the separation. Allowing yourself to feel these emotions that come up allow you to release the emotions. And it's totally normal to feel sad and depressive symptoms when you're grieving a breakup. But if you find 
that the symptoms are persisting for weeks and there's no sign of improvement, you want to make an appointment with your doctor or seek out help from a mental health expert. And if seeing a therapist in person is too overwhelming right now, another option you can try is online therapy. There's a service like BetterHelp. They are the largest network of therapists and they'll match you with a therapist and you get to choose the way of communication that feels comfortable for you, whether that's by phone call or even text message. The point is you cannot do this alone. You need support, whether that's your friends or family or seeing a medical or mental health professional. Because the reality is, breakups is one of the hardest things a person will ever go through in their lifetime. You can feel isolated, heartbroken, depressed, but remember that this pain is temporary. Even if you don't know when the timeline of pain is going to end and you don't know how the journey is going to turn out, All you need to do is focus on the next step. And once you've taken that next step, you focus on the next step. Science tells us that our brains are marvelously resilient. Neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to rewire and adapt, is at the heart of this resilience. Engaging in positive healing practices like gratitude journaling, and mindfulness meditation can help your brain rewire and restore balance. You're not stuck in this pain forever. You have tools to heal. You have the opportunity to reconnect with yourself, learn from the experience, and build a stronger, more resilient version of you. Psychologists call this phenomenon post-traumatic growth. Support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane. Lately, I've been loving this California brand called Jenny Kane. They're known for their superior and lavish cashmere, and I recently snagged their top seller, the Cashmere Cocoon. Believe me when I say, investing in top-tier staples pays off, as they stand the test of time. And the source of your cashmere crucial. Jenny Kane simply nails it. I've also got a pair of their Sherling mules, which I love because I can dress them up or I can wear them casually with a pair of jeans. Look, if you're nursing a broken heart and tempted to lounge in pajamas all day, it's okay to treat yourself. Elevate your mood with some chic pieces from Jenny Kane. There's nothing like feeling great in the clothes you wear. Find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off your first order when you use code BREAKUP at checkout. That's 15% off your first order, J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BREAKUP. And now back to the show. Now, before we get into our caller today, I want to tease what we're going to go over in episode four. In the next episode we'll cover what happens during the anger stage. You'll learn tools to create a new normal for yourself and about boundaries. I'll give you a four-step framework for communicating your needs and your desires. So you want to make sure you subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode. 
And now we're going to move on to our caller who's in the middle of the depression stage of a breakup. They're going to share what's going on with them and I'll be providing some perspective as well as a tip on what to do and what not to do. Until next time, take care of your heart and don't forget to look for the beauty. Well, thank you so much for joining. Tell me what's going on. Well, thank you for having me. So I guess a bit of a background is that I am someone in my early 30s and I just started exploring the dating scene. So I just got out of a situation and this is something I wanted to share. I matched with a guy on Bumble a year ago. We hit things off really well via text and up until the first meeting, he and I decided we were better off as friends. And that came with benefits. So it was going on for 10 months. It came to the point that I have met his friends and we actually made plans on him meeting my folks. So a month ago, we were on a phone call because we were getting ready and we were planning something for our upcoming camping trip and we were just talking about the dating scene once again and I just shared that oh um a couple of guys have asked me out and he was happy and he was supportive of that he shared that he met a girl on a quick hiking trail a week prior have gone out on two dates and they were planning to go on a third date already I was surprised and I just asked him, does this mean I'm going to be backing off now because you've met someone? And he said, no, it's too soon to tell. So um, it also came to the point that we, were, we argued after that and then we eventually ended things. Um, I will not lie, Amy, throughout the 10 months, I did develop feelings for him, but I respected the friendship boundary. I respected it so much. So when we ended, I confessed my feelings and he just said, okay. So my question to you is that clearly this was a situationship. Am I allowed to feel this way? Because it feels like a, a relationship breakup, but it's not. Oh my gosh, of course you are. It doesn't matter that you didn't have a title or if there is a title. The reality is you had 10 months of physical intimacy and friendship, which means there was emotional intimacy. It sounds like this guy wanted to have a relationship without any of the responsibilities or commitment that comes with a relationship. How convenient. And what probably happened was you started off being okay with it and you kind of went along with it because you enjoyed his company and you enjoyed the connection and you can tell yourself all you want to not fall for someone. But when you are intimate, your chemicals, there's a whole chemical reaction that's happening that's causing you to bond. And so I want to just explain something about situationships, because I think a lot of times people feel like they don't have the right to be sad 
or they don't have the right to grieve a relationship that didn't have a label. And that's completely ridiculous. Your grief is completely reasonable because you also have to think of it like this, okay? So say we're gonna compare this to going to Disneyland for the first time. So bear with me. So a long-term relationship, say someone's been married for 20 years and the relationship ends. That's like going to Disneyland. You go on all the rides, you eat all the food. It's 12 hours later, you leave, you're exhausted. You've done it all. You're like, oh my gosh, thank God, good riddance. Now let's compare that with a relationship that was maybe a couple months or a, or a year or a situationship on and off again. That's like going to Disneyland. You're super excited. You go on three rides and you haven't even hit the ride you really want to, the Mickey Mouse one. And right when you are about to go on the next ride, the park closes and they're like, sorry, time to go home. And you are leaving with all of this excitement that hasn't been actualized. You're leaving on this intense high. And that is similar to what you're going through. This relationship, whatever he wanted to call it, it was a relationship without title, ended at this peak intensity because dopamine, oxytocin, all of those lust chemicals, they last between eight months to two years. And then they start to minimize and then it starts to change and evolve into a different type of love, which is a lot more comfortable and stable. And so when you end it on a high, you end it on a peak, you can feel the intensity a lot more than sometimes that relationship that was 20 years, you've already actualized the future, you already know what you're going to get. And you might've had some hope that if you continue that the bond would grow and maybe eventually he would change his mind. And I think that happens to a lot of people. So I know this is really hard for you and it's totally okay. What's coming up for you right now? It's been, okay, so we ended things in June. And I think this is the first time since June that I've actually like let the tears out. Yeah. And I think a part of that is because it seems like you felt that you shouldn't be feeling that. And there's like a judgment of the feelings. And I really want to give you permission to feel it all feel it all. And something that will help you is I would do almost like a timed interval. So, so that you're not just crying for like days on end, not able to get out of bed. I would set a timer. I would say like 20 minutes, maybe 30. And during that time, release whatever needs to come out, cry, be angry, yell, whatever it is to release. And then once a timer goes off, you do a state change. And I would then set another timer for two minutes, shake your body from head to toe. That will help metabolize the stress hormones, adrenaline and cortisol that's pumping through your body. You might need to kind of do the cycle again a little bit later on, but that will help you then, you know, 12 hours straight of crying. But remember that when you cry, you know, tears is just pain exiting the body. Yeah. Yeah. 
Definitely. Do you think that's something you can do? Yeah. Yeah. And and so I think also, right, right now, it is all about you allowing yourself to feel, to not judge the feelings as good or bad. And then later on, right, we're kind of in the early stages of the healing process. Later on, when you've been able to release, then you want to really look at what is the lesson here? Because as much as it hurts, there is a growth opportunity that will help you the next time. And if someone proposes like, hey, I want this casual thing, you now know like, oh, I, I've done that before. Mm -hmm. Didn't turn out too well. That's not my cup of tea. And that's totally okay. I know personally myself, because I veer more anxiously attached, I used to be like, yeah, I watched Sex in the City. I'm like, I could be like Samantha. Like I could have like total casual relationships. And I tried that and I was like spiraling in anxiety and tears. And I realized through that, I'm like, oh, that's not for me. Totally okay for other yeah. people who, who want to do that. But you got to know yourself. And I know for me, mm -hmm. I get attached. And it seems like you got attached. And so... I think the lesson for the future is to, to know if you want something, don't just change it because someone's willing to give you a quarter of that. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Okay. Thank you. Oh, wow. Thank you so much oh. for sharing. I know it's hard. You're going to get through it. Be gentle with your heart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That wraps up our caller for today. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, be gentle with your heart.